Hey guys, this is Seth Jaffe from Tasty Minstrel Games, creator of the new game Crusaders That Will Be Done on Kickstarter now, and you're watching Legends of Tabletop. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Welcome everybody. We've got a special AM edition here on the on the uh, Pacific Time. I have Seth on this morning, so how are you doing? I'm doing good. It occurred to me as I said watching that maybe a lot of people will listen to this after the fact, but they'll just have to use their imaginations. That's it. It's, it's all theater of the mind here in, in the podcasting world. <laughs> So before we get started, I'll throw a bumper real quick in the beginning. Since it is the morning, I have my awesome cup of birds of a feather coffee. You could head over to birdscoffeecompany.com. You can either order the awesome night owl blend, which is what I'm drinking right now, or you could shoot Neil an email first and tell him you want that sweet, sweet legendary brew, which you know, We'll have up for soon, but you can send him an email and get that as well. So uh, check him out. You know him. You love him. He runs like 47 games on the podcast. So we support Neil over there. But uh, so let's talk to Seth. We've been spending a lot of time together lately. We <laughs> gaming conventions, hanging out at the store. So it's it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun here recently. Yeah, I um actually I've been at the store a little more often lately. I, I I went through a drought where I wasn't at the store. I wasn't playing any games for a while, so I've been hanging out the store a little more often. And I was happy to run into you there and and, and uh, had an unexpected chance to play play a game or two. Yep, absolutely, it's awesome. I uh, we we played trombone the other day. I wound up picking it up. It's been a it's been a big hit at work. My brother, who I never know if he's gonna like any certain particular game when I bring it home, was like, "We've got to play that train game again." Yeah, <laughs> so, well, that's always what you want to hear. Um, yeah, that's funny. I, I don't even I don't know if I've even thought of that game again since we played it. But I, I don't know. It was it was all right. I guess I didn't. Uh, I'm not sure I 100 percent understood that we were playing it right, but. Uh, I, I think so. I mean, I played it since we were we were playing it the way that you we had played it at the store. So, well, the the important thing is you had fun playing it. So, that's absolutely, cool. yeah. Yep. Uh, so I had you on a couple of months ago, and uh, you know, we're kind of giving us the spiel, talking about all the things that were going on. And Crusaders was, of course, one of the things you were working on then. Uh, mm -hmm. When we when we talked back then, you were. You know, of the opinion that Tasty Minstrel was just going to release it, it wasn't going to go through Kickstarter. What was what what happened to kind of change your guys' mindset on that? Um, well, uh, we're always kind of uh, reevaluating which things are getting Kickstarters and and uh, things like that. We're trying to come to a um, any given game uh, can either you know be on Kickstarter or not. So what we're looking for is the opportunity. To do what makes a good Kickstarter? Is what, what game won't make a good Kickstarter project. And more recently, and this might be why it changed, is because um, you might have noticed TMG has done a, a number of deluxified Kickstarters, and that's been working very well. It started with uh, Orleans Deluxe, and people really, really liked that, and a lot of people have um, been asking for it ever since, uh, looking for ways to get the deluxe version. Uh, unfortunately, I think we're out at this point. Um, there are various things for that one there. Uh, I know that DLP had an upgrade pack and, and things like that. Um, but that was so popular that we went ahead and, and did it again. 
we've been trying it for a couple of times. We've got a number of games now in the deluxified line. Uh, one of the most uh, widespread might be Yokohama and Yokohama Deluxe. And that was because it was from designer Hisashi Hayashi, who's very, uh, very good designer, very well known probably for some of his other games. Um, and so that game had come out in um, Japan and um, Michael went to Tokyo Game Market and liked it and and picked it up for North American release. And we decided to do the deluxified treatment on that one as well. So we upgraded. A, uh, first, we went over all the, the graphic design and kind of fixed it up for both the retail and deluxe uh, just to kind of improve it and try to make it more readable. One of the things about that game is that it, it, it spreads out on the table and it looks very complex when really it's very straightforward and, and not that hard to, to grok. Um, so we tried to help help that a little bit by upgrading the graphic design. But but then we went and deluxified a lot of the components, making them uh, the resources and the houses and stuff into wood and things like that. And people really liked that as well. And so that went over very well. And we started to notice all these deluxified products, just people like them and people want to get them. And and uh, even after the Kickstarter, people say, oh, I missed out on it. I really, I would love to get the, the how do I get the deluxe one? Um, so we're kind of, focusing efforts more on these what games can we deluxify and it was decided that crusaders could be a, a nice deluxe product so uh i was happy to hear that because this this uh, this one's my game so i'm, I'm super excited to have it finally coming out I mean, i've been actually um it's kind of been done for for a while now but i'm, I'm really excited for t i was already excited for it to be coming out and now i'm extra excited to make it a, a deluxe deluxified product um and get the deluxified uh, treatment and so that means there will be a retail version in stores and it will be a nice high quality euro style you know like a $60 box that you'll be happy to get if you buy it at the store but for the people who are participating in the Kickstarter project and and want to get the deluxe version um, I believe it's 69 I, I, let me uh, go ahead and screen share actually in case anyone's watching um, and I'll flip over to the pardon me 69 that's the level that I'm pledged at I'm I'm all in for the deluxified it looks beautiful it's fantastic yeah so here we are at the Kickstarter page so here it is um, my game all deluxified and it's got a uh, here's a picture of all the stuff that you get you get the, um, you get the box you get the metal metal vi uh, victory point tokens instead of cardboard a picture of the board all these um, uh, night orders the factions uh, are in there. Uh, we've got plastic miniatures. We've reached a stretch goal to add plastic miniatures. And because we didn't want anyone to miss out on the plastics um, or anything like that, they're actually on top of the wooden miniatures. So you both, both get the plastic knights and buildings as well as um, wooden ones. And that's here. That's in this picture. You can kind of see the difference. And they look pretty good. Uh, some of these plastic ones got adjusted, like this castle. A lot of the comments in the Kickstarter thought the castle looked a little bit too Disney. Um, so we actually adjusted that a little bit. And... Um, I think it looks even better now. Um, so uh, what else we got? We got uh, um, some of these, these discs with the enemies. Uh, in the retail, there'll be punch board with art on them, and uh, there'll be wooden discs with stickers. And actually, I really like the uh, painted wood with stickers. I think it looks really nice. Stickers are a good way to get detailed art and colorful art onto these components. But a lot of people dislike the stickers. So our uh, next stretch potentially going to hit soon is to silkscreen the important information which is on the back of these top ones uh so that if people don't want the stickers they could just leave the stickers off altogether and even if they want the stickers on the front the back side of the ones that have the information will have silkscreen it will look really nice um 
And so, yeah, all those deluxe upgrades. In fact, there's a little chart here, right here, with the difference between the um, the retail version and the deluxe version. The retail starter is 50 bucks. It'll be the deluxified version is 69 on Kickstarter. It'll be $100 if you get it after the fact. And it won't be in distribution. You can only get it after the Kickstarter if you um, either if you go to uh, our booth while supplies last. We'll have a, a, somebody at some conventions. Uh, some retailers might get in on the Kickstarter and then they'll have some to sell and stuff like that. So, um, and you can see the highlighted um, side on the right is what's an upgrade compared to the retail. And you can see the right hand side is pretty much all upgraded. Everything's highlighted. So, um, and we've got some more down below here. We've got some more stretch goals that are coming. These are all the ones that we've unlocked. We're gonna add some items. We've got a, a drawback to, that you can use to help random setup of the tokens. We've got some spot UV tool to make certain parts of the board sort of shine. Um, but the next one that we're going to hopefully hit today, we're, we're currently sitting at almost 230,000. And we hit 230, we'll get uh, plastic knights in addition to the, uh, or wood knights in addition to the plastic from wood. And then this will add wood knights as well. Um, but then beyond that is the silk screen I was talking about. And if we get to 275, I'm pretty excited about this one. We got a, a, a nice metal sword for a first player token, which you could spin. And and um, if you want to find out, who, you know, to, to choose a start player, you can spin it and whoever it points at could be first. Like, so it's a built-in start player chooser if you want. Um, but of course, you know, you could just randomly choose or any other method is you, if, if you like. Um, so that's, I don't know, I'm pretty excited about these upgrades. I'm pretty excited about the game. I'm pretty excited about the fact that we're at, we're almost at 230,000 in funding. Uh, that's my previous games um, on Kickstarter, but that was years ago. And that was one of the very first Kickstarter, big Kickstarter successes in the tabletop industry. There was Alien Frontiers and then there was Eminent Domain. And I mean that we raised $48,000. And at the time that was mind blown. It was enormous. And I was, speechless. I didn't know what, you know, I didn't even know that could be a, a done. And nowadays, you know, some of the, some of these games, if you don't make, if you don't raise 48,000, someone's like, what's, what's wrong with you? But at the time, you know, TMG existed and we had had some games out. So we had some footing perhaps, and maybe that's, that was contributed to our success. But at this point we're much more well-known and um, Kickstarter is much more well-known and people are, are actively looking on Kickstarter for games. And so it's a lot different story nowadays. Yeah, it's much more of a known uh, known quantity now too. There's, I mean, you know, there's always risk involved, but I would say there's less risk now than there was, you know, years ago. You're like, well, what the heck is this? I'm gonna I'm gonna give some money money now, and I'm gonna maybe get a game in a year from now or six months from now. Where now yeah. it's like I'm gonna go to Kickstarter, look for the cool thing from Tasty Minstrel or whatever, because I know I'm gonna get it, and it's gonna be awesome. That's right. You do kind of when you're shopping on Kickstarter, it's probably worth your while to look at, 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 uh, who is doing it because that's one thing about Kickstarter is that, uh, there could be two projects. One could be from somebody who's never done it before. And one could be for, from, you know, your Kumani or not, or your Tasty Minstrel who has done it before. And at a glance, they might look similar and you don't know. So it's worth, just like I used to tell people, if you buy a game off the shelf, there's no guarantee you're going to like it. So it's worth your while to look at the publisher, look at the designer, look, I read online to see if it's any, you know, if it's something you're going to like. Similarly, when you're shopping on Kickstarter, you know, people in order to grab funding, you know, you, you present fancy artwork and nice pieces and it looks good. Um, and sometimes that's enough. People are interested in nice pieces, but it's probably worth your while to, 
you know, do some research. Uh, are there reviews? Can you find out about the game? Who's who's putting it out? Have they delivered before? Um, everyone starts somewhere. So there's sometimes you'll have a first time, uh, first time Kickstarter, and it'll be um, what's it called? That uh, Gloomhaven. And everyone would be like, holy crap, that was, he did it, you know, he actually got something amazing going on, and that was, he'd never done it before. Um, but sometimes you'll have a first-time person that isn't as experienced, and you'll have delays, and even with the experienced guys, you'll have delays sometimes. Um, but the bottom line is, there are, so there are different types of, of projects and different types of creators, but if you look and you see, okay, Tasty Minstrel, we've done this 30 times. Uh, we've also got games that are not on Kickstarter. Uh, people can look at those games and reviews of those games, and they can see that they're, you know, whether or not they're going to like that type of thing, you can at least see that the quality is high and you can say, okay, I'm, even if it's delayed or something, some of our games, some games get delayed and, and stuff, but even if it's delayed, it'll come and it'll be high quality. Um, and we're actually working towards minimizing and reducing any sort of hiccups and delays that we've been experiencing in the past. But the bottom line is people have been pretty happy with our, especially our deluxified stuff. And um, constantly we have people saying, oh, I missed out or I didn't know or I didn't see the Kickstarter. How can I get the deluxe version? So we're, we're actually going to um, looking at ways we can sort of address that as well for people who miss out on the Kickstarter. Um, but that's in the future. We're not sure. Uh, I'm not sure when and if that's going to come to fruition. But we've got some ideas about um, trying to help people who miss out on the Kickstarter and still want the deluxe version. Sure. Well, and I'll say, so we were at RocketCon uh, last Friday, and you brought the deluxified version of, of Yokohama, which I had never played before. Uh, I, you know, I didn't see the Kickstarter when it came up. And, I, you know, man, I tell you, it's so I'm back in the deluxified version of Crusaders. It's worth every penny. You know, the little mini metal coins and all the, 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 the components are shaped wood pieces. It, it is so, and it doesn't affect gameplay gameplay right i mean it's just a matter of you know perceived value like you can not get the deluxified version of crusaders game is going to be awesome it's going to play great it's fantastic but you get those little metal coins and all those little add-ons and doodads it's just it's so awesome yeah you uh at, at RocketCon, i believe i uh had you play the, my old prototype of crusaders mm -hmm. and that didn't have any any metal coins or that it didn't have any buildings in fact it had just little um basically tiles that had a picture of a farm and a castle or something like that. Um, yeah. And that worked just fine. Like that's how my prototype was the entire time. You just, you know, you build a castle, you put a little piece that looks like that has a picture of a castle, but I think it'll look really nice. The board will look really nice at, at the end of the game when there's actual little structures on it. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be a, a nice, um, and that's in the retail version. The, the it, you know, there'll be uh, wooden uh, pieces up all, all over the board, even in the retail version. I think that's going to look really good. Um, really like sleek uh, Euro style uh, game, which I'm a big fan of. And then if the deluxe version is going to have the plastics, well, first of all, if you like the wood better, it'll have both. But second of all, I think those plastics are going to look nice too. I was talking, I had a nice chat call, uh, Skype call with the sculptor last night. We were talking about that and I, you know, getting the final renders of, of the buildings. And I just think they're going to look really good. I'm, I'm antsy to get the SDL files so I can order some from Shapeways just so I can have some in my hand to like, <laughs> some 3d prints to uh to play with yeah just that's cool to see how it's gonna look because i'm i'm i've never had a well i guess eminent domain had little plastic spaceships but i i feel like i i'm it's gonna be so much fun to have uh have little buildings and little knights that are in plastic mm-hmm 
And the cool thing too is is the deluxe the ooh, let me start over. The cool thing is the deluxified components or they match the cost for TNG, right? So you're not like hammering people for an extra, you know, 20, 30, $40. It's, this is what it costs us to make it. It's super cool. And, you know, you can get it and, you know, we're not bending you over barrel. So like as a consumer, like, thank you, TNG. That's amazing that, you know, in, in, you know, today's economy yeah. and whatever, it's like, Hey, we're going to yeah. give you something cool. Yeah, basically the 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 the, the process of the plan for the deluxified thing is that we you know we have our retail that we're selling it you know our regular you know markups and things so we can you know make afford to do it and make a little bit of money, um, and then the deluxe upgrades. Pardon me. Basically, the 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 amount that we charge extra for the deluxe, pretty much all of that amount goes directly into those upgraded pieces. So yeah, we're not we're not up charging on the on the upgrades per se. Um, so we're, we're basically giving you the upgrades at cost is, is, is kind of like how it works. Um, which is what you're talking about. So yeah, it's, okay. it's a way Michael said, uh, this is, this is how, um, if he wants, if he likes a game a lot, he, he wants the fanciest version he can, he can play. And he wants, that's, that's how he kind of comes to these, um, deluxified, uh, thing is he wanted the, he, it's the, it's the, the best upgrades that he would want to play with, I guess. And uh, so he decided that that would be a thing other people must want too. And so it's so far it's been pretty good. So uh, Michael was just on uh, um, Tasty Mitchell Games has a podcast now, uh, the TMG podcast, and Michael was on it. Uh, I think it was last the last week's. It's a weekly thing. I think last week's was with Michael talking about Deluxified, um, the brand or whatever, um, what that means and where that came from and, and stuff like that. So for more information, check out TMG's podcast. Yes, I will make a note so that I can include that in the show notes because uh, awesome. that's one thing I did not include. Yeah, um, and actually, uh, I've been pretty happy so far with uh, with the TMG podcast. It's been a, a short, like twenty to thirty minutes. Um, Lance Meister is uh, the Undead Viking. He's the the host of the show, and he'll often have, uh, well, he'll always, I guess, have one of the other TMG crew. I've been on there once. Uh, Michael's been on there. I think Daniel's been on there. Um, Rick. Uh, Rick was on there. Uh, they were talking about the conventions they went to. I was on there talking about uh, Crusaders, I guess. Um, various topics, and and, uh, and it's just short. It's not, you know, it's not terribly long, and, um, and it's informative, and uh, it's a nice little podcast. And it's different than it's not your average. There are a lot of podcasts where it's you know a couple of guys talking about what games they played last week or whatever. It's not that at all. Um, it's more like an industry one a little bit because it talks about uh, some industry topics, and so. Uh, for a different perspective, maybe than uh, unless you're in the industry, maybe you don't listen to industry podcasts, but it's kind of a, I think it kind of bridges the gap a little bit. It talks a little bit about industry, but it talks about stuff that you might care about or, or be interested in if you're not in the industry. Um, there are a few podcasts like that. I know uh, I listened to the one with uh, Board Games Insider with Stronghold and, and uh, mm -hmm. Portal Games, Ignacy and, and Steven. That's a pretty cool one. It gives you kind of a glimpse into the industry as well. And uh, yeah, so I feel like it's that type of thing. So we're well worth a listen. Sure. Well, and, and you know, if you if you enjoy Tasty Minstrel games, it's you know going to give you some inside information as far as like what's going on over Tasty Minstrel and you know sort of where games are and you know things you guys are working on. So that that's cool too. You know, if, if you particularly like a, you know a, a specific publisher, then that's that's pretty cool. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about plastic versus wood. Of, of all the 
potential controversies involved with this project. Who would have thought that plastic versus wood would be like the thing that sort of stood out as a as an issue for people? Um, you know what? I it's not such a surprise. I feel like this has happened before, and I feel like it's going to happen every time. Uh, anytime you upgrade a uh, something by by changing it from one thing to another, there's some some people are going to say, I, w- I wanted the original thing. I don't want it upgraded. And in some respects, depending on what it is, it, it's, it sounds silly. Uh, uh, but for some people, it's not silly. It's like they really wanted that thing. And now you've taken that away, even though you've given them something better. They might not think it's better. And then there's this thing. Some of those people, I and, and then this is why we're, we're part of why we're com- including both the plastics and the wood is so some people, for example, think, you know, I really like that wood. It looks nice. I would rather have that. Um. And, and a lot of people have said that they don't, they're not, basically they don't trust the plastics to be good. Like they think of plastics and they think of some, I don't know, some old mass market game that had like crappy plastic that was bendy or something. And so they're not convinced the plastic will be better than the wood. What we don't want, what Michael does definitely does not want is for somebody to say, oh, like what if we instead offered both, you know, either you choose plastic or wood and somebody chooses the wood because they think, oh, I want the wood. The plastic's probably not going to be good. I like how the wood looks. And then later it shows up and it turns out the plastics are really nice. And everyone's like, oh, the plastic's great. And that person's like, oh, I wish I'd gotten the plastic. I feel bad about my purchase. You know, like that's that is something um, for the deluxe brand. Michael definitely doesn't want anyone to have any regrets. And so that makes some sense then to go ahead and give both. And if people really do want the wood, they can use the wood. And if some people want the plant, some people have said that they would, they, they would switch back and forth or with certain groups, they'd like the wood better. And with other groups, they might like the plastic better, or they could even give each player the choice because the way they use the pieces, it doesn't really matter if they right. match material. Um, so now people have the option. They have the fancy wood pieces with the silk screen that looks real nice. And they have the plastics with the, uh, the sculpted miniatures, which look really, really nice. Um, they both look nice in their own way. And, uh, I'm not sure which one I'll use when it comes time. When when I get my copy, I'm ex- I'm excited to use either one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess like so, you know, for people who've been board gaming for a long time, like wood is like, you know, that's the OGL, right? Like Carcassonne and all those things. Like it's it's all wood pieces. So I guess that that you know people relate to that, like, you know. Yeah, wooden board gaming. Wood. Nice painted wood is sort of a hallmark of the Euro style game, I think. And I think people, people who like Euro games, and I, I am one of these people, I really, uh, I really do like painted wooden cubes, for example, um, or painted, painted custom meeples or whatever. Um, they, they look really nice. They're tactile. They're, they, it's like, looks classy. Um, but I don't, I don't think plastics is, is a bad thing. In fact, there was a game, uh, I don't know, 2002 or something like that called Domain. Uh, by Reiner Knizia, and um, this is this is all a game. It's a fun game. It's a good game. And the pieces in that game, there are knights and castles, and they're they're sculpted plastic, and they're really nice. And in fact, I used knights from that as my prototype knights because I, I I would in my head I'm like this is what I want it to look like. If it ever gets made, I want the, I want the knights to look just like this. And I sent a picture of that to the sculptor. I said, you know, I want a knight kind of like this. Um, and the, the other pieces in that game were other, they were like little walls or something, but they were like also plastic and they were nice, like hard plastic. It wasn't, it wasn't some cheap bendy plastic or anything. Um, but yeah, I, I actually think that that was, and this is back be, maybe before there was a big explosion of Euro games in North America where, where people maybe got into this whole idea of like, Ooh, Euro game equals painted wood. Um, so I don't know, maybe, 
that sort of overshadowed anything like these plastic sculpted detailed miniatures. Um, and then now when you hear about miniatures, you get like a blood rage or like a, uh, something like that where the miniatures, it, where the, the style of game that has miniatures isn't the Euro style of game necessarily. Um, right. so I think people associate plastic miniatures with, um, Hero uh, clicks or something. Game. And they associate painted wood with a different kind of game. So, you know, your Euro style game has the painted wood and your American style game has the plastic miniatures. And that's kind of their, the, the, I don't know, the connotation, I guess. And so thinking about having a, a Euro style game with plastic pieces is kind of maybe, maybe it's a disconnect for some people, but um, I don't know. That doesn't mean it's not nice. And I'm actually looking forward to, to the pieces. There's a game um, coming out called Grim Forest. It was on Kickstarter. It did ridiculously well on Kickstarter. And it has some really fantastic looking plastic pieces. And I think, you know, when people get that, they are going to just be delighted to play with these awesome toys. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm hoping they'll feel the same way when Crusaders comes out, that they'll be delighted to march their knight across and build castles that look like castles. Right. Um, well, so so I, I think, yeah, I think it's going to look great. Uh, and if this works out well, which I, I don't see why it wouldn't, um, we're probably going to look to do more games that have nice plastic sculpts um, just because they, they are more detailed and they're awesome. They're awesome looking. So um, if it makes sense and maybe that's a deluxe upgrade or maybe it's not, but I think it's, it's something that we'll look forward to doing more of. Cool. Well, let me throw this out, right? Because we're, we're mostly an RPG podcast. We do have a lot of, you know, game designers and stuff on. So we talk about Eurogame. You want to explain a little bit about what does that mean? You know, oh, for yeah. people who may not know. That's a good point. Um, so I'm usually talking on, if I'm on a podcast, it's it's a, a podcast that's generally aimed towards the board game or the Euro, you know, the, the BGG crowd or the, or the board game hobby. Um, so for people who aren't familiar, um, so board games have gone through a, um, a lot of transition in the last decade or so. And it used to be that in America, if you thought of a board game, you thought of Monopoly or Scrabble or something like that. Um, and if you thought, however, in Europe, board game is a much bigger deal. Families would sit around and play a board game together rather than watch TV or something like that. And um, so it's been bigger. But come 1990-something, uh, Settlers of Catan is the first prob probably one of the big first games to cross that gap and to come over from from Europe, a uh, European style game that people got excited about over here. So um, the difference, so now there's been a lot of cross pollination and a lot of growth in the hobby uh, on both sides. I think American the the, the hallmarks that that sort of define or, or the difference between an American style game and a European style game are generally speaking. American style games are more concentrating on theme and have a higher reliance on chance. For example, Risk. Uh, Risk is is very thematic and it has these, you know, some of the copies of Risk have the little plastic people that are like people instead of just, you know, cubes. Um, and but there's a there's a focus on uh, randomness. There's a lot of uh, output randomness. I choose to go attack this country. Did it work? I roll some dice and we'll find out. Right. Um, that's sort of an American style dynamic. On the other hand, the European games tend to, and it's not always true, uh, have more of a focus on mechanics than theme. Uh, that is to say, a lot of times people will say a theme is pasted on. It's like they have some some mechanical game and they're like, oh, well, let's make it about farming. And then they just paint pictures of farmers or whatever. And it, right. it, it could have easily been outer space. And, and it, you know, the, the, the theme integration isn't, it isn't always as good. Um, and the pieces 
oftentimes, especially in the last, you know, until recently, were cubes, colored painted cubes, and that's where this wooden cube things come from. Um, but the the constant the, the focus is more on the mechanics and on the player choice. If there's randomness, it's probably um, what we call input randomness, which is uh, rather rather than risk, where it's like, do I, I I made my choice, did it work? It's you roll some dice first, and you go, okay, based on that roll, I'll make some choices. And so that's sort of a different uh, style. And uh, it's one that I prefer personally. But that's sort of the difference is uh, is theme versus mechanics and uh, chaos versus less chaos. More, more randomness versus less randomness, kind of. Um, different randomness, I guess. And nowadays, you see a lot of cross-pollination and a lot of combinations. Uh, um Matt Riddle refers to it as mid-Atlantic, where you've got like a combination of American theme with Euro-style designs or whatever, and um, which is best of both worlds, kind of, if you look at it that way. Um, which is the those are those are often very popular because they've got the, the the theme and the you know the fun and flavor of the American-style games, but they've got the elegant mechanics that are less uh, chance-driven uh, from the Euro side. So. That's kind of my spiel on the difference between American style and European style games. Um, neither one, of course, is you know right or wrong. Some people love uh, Monopoly and, and Risk, and some people love Settlers of Catan, and some people love you know other styles of games. So, um, a lot of people, what people don't know is is really the specifics and the difference. Um, so, if you hear if you hear Euro style, that's what I'm talking about: is the uh, games that are like the style that came from Europe. All right, cool. Yeah, clear things up for some people, maybe. Um, so yeah. we're talking about controversy a little bit. Um, you, you know, with the theme that you have, you know, Crusaders, thy will be done. Um, did you have any trepidation going in, going, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should put a different spin on this? So, you know, was there any kind of conversation around the office of, you know, maybe this is not the right time with what we have going on politically and everything else? Well, uh, let me start by saying where, how I came to that theme. Uh, so to begin with, uh, the game, I, the theme idea was that it was just the Knights Templar. I thought the Knights Templar were interesting. I was actually surprised there were no games about it. Now there are several games about it. Uh, but just the, the Knights Templar, the story of the Knights Templar is, um, well, it's interesting and it's popular and people, it's in, it's on the fringes of pop culture, things like, uh, um, Oak Island, Brown books and stuff and, you know, other, other fiction and whatever, um, I was I was like this this would be a great topic for a game and I, a long time ago I thought that and I had some ideas for I just wanted to make a game about the the, the Templars and how they built up and, and everything and um, how they were like the king was like helping them out and then they got so powerful and the king was in debt and then he like for political reasons he wanted to disband them well and then later I came across this this mechanism idea for this Rondell thing and, and we can talk about that later but. I was like, I need a theme for that. And I'm like, well, what about that Knights Templar thing? Like, so I combined them. So from the outset, it was about the Knights Templar. It was about the Knights Templar building up their power and influence. It wasn't about the Crusades. It wasn't about going in on Crusades or whatever that happened in history. It was about the Knights Templar building up their own infrastructure and their own power and influence. Um, then I had to reconsider that because I, I wanted it to be a competitive game, not a cooperative one. And so these different players are competing, but if they're all members of the Knights Templar, then what are they competing? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. So I said, okay, maybe, maybe it would make more sense if the different players were different factions or different groups. So one of them could be the Knights Templar maybe, and someone else could be something else. So I looked up, I did a little research. I looked up different, uh, different night order, different crusading night orders or whatever they're called. The, the different, uh, 
sects or different factions or whatever. And you got things like the Knights Hospitaller, the uh, Knights of the there's a there's a uh, Alacantra, there's there's uh, there's a whole lot. There's a Lazarus. There's a whole lot of different ones. And they didn't all exist at the same time. And some of them might still be around today in some respects, and some are well, long since gone. Um, but I thought, okay, well, kind of abstracting it out anyway, I'll just say each player is a different knight order, and each one, each of these knights orders is trying to increase their influence until, and I kind of played a little, took a little artistic license on the, the story. So King Philip who shut down the Knights Templar. Well, let's just say he shut down all the Knights orders. We'll just kind of conflate those two. And, um, you know, for, so that the game works. Um, and that was that. So basically it's not, I needed a title that wasn't Knights Templar because that didn't make sense anymore. Right. So, well, all these different orders were crusading orders. They are ones who ended up going on crusades. So the, the, the grouping of them sounded like uh, the thing that would make sense is to call them crusaders because they were at some point crusaders. Um, but really, so it's called Crusaders, but it's not really about the Crusades. It's about the Knight Orders building up their own influence by, um, and, and they, sure there there is a Crusade action because it's called Crusaders, but really it's just it's it's sort of super abstract. It's not really talking about. If people say, "Hey, how you can, how can you have a game about the Crusades? It doesn't even have the Holy Land on the map." Well, this is why it's not really about the Crusades. It's not not about crusading to the Holy Lands. It's about the orders, the Crusaders themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's why. And, and that being the case, I personally had no problem with it. Nobody else uh, brought up any any issues with the with that. And um, I did see a thread on, on Board Game Geek where somebody had said that the, their group wouldn't play it because, you know, you see the word Crusaders, you think Crusades, you think the Crusades are bad or whatever, and maybe you're not interested in that topic. Well, that's fine. Um, honestly, that thread, and that thread went on, it's, it's got a few pages, and, and some people um, were, you know, for making a game with a theme some people were against it some people were okay with it but maybe it should be treated carefully or something um or, or stuff like that it was a pretty civil thread compared to some uh, controversy i'm putting air quotes around controversy threads mm. um so i you know i i, I think it could have been um I, i've seen i've seen games with bigger controversy threads let me just put it that way um but yeah the um what i'm looking to do is just to give people a little more um, I don't want to say historical context about the Crusades, but just a more historical context about the orders. Like, um, there's, you have the, the Knights Hospitaller or whatever, maybe that's your order, and that means you have a special rule for you, a uh, special ability. But on the back of the of the Knight Order tile, maybe there could be some information about, like, when the Knights of Hospitaller were around, what they were known for, whatever. Like, for example, the Knights Templar were instrumental in the creation of what we now know as the banking system. So that, mm -hmm. that's some information that maybe people don't know, and that could be um, included. Um, but I wasn't really planning on a historically accurate game, um, as evidenced by the maps not probably as super accurate, and certainly the enemy tokens, which are randomly assigned during the game, aren't going to be in historically accurate places in Europe or whatever. So it's kind of like an alternate history crusade-adjacent theme, I guess. <laughs> Um, okay. But yeah, so that is, it was never intended to be a history lesson. Um, it just, like I said, it was it was about the the story of the Knights Templar is is was the idea. So okay. hopefully, I, people I, uh, don't have any problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the, I mean, the, obviously, the response has been over, overwhelmingly positive. I mean, you guys are you know over two hundred twenty five thousand dollars, so uh, it, you know it's not like 
you know, there's a, a large hue and cry of how could you make a game about, you know, the Crusades or about crusading or whatever. But I just find it interesting, you know, in the day and age that, you know, then you see something like that. And like, I, you know, when we were talking at Rockicon about this issue, uh, and we were talking about five tribes and, you know, the fact that, you know, slaves are a resource in the game and, you know, how things are depicted on cards and, and you know, that, that can cause an issue. And, and, you know, I mean... You know, it's hard. Like, right. So, like, as a white guy, like, all right, well, there's, it's a resource in the game. We play the game. It is what it is. But, you know, for other people, it's like, no, like, this is, a, you know, a part of my family history. This is, you know, a, a part of cultural history for, you know, for, you know, for, you know, people who are like me. So, you know, there is, I guess, you know, a fine line. And, you know, for someone to say, oh, well, it's just a game. Yes. But, you know, I, I mean, games you know kind of spread beyond that okay we're going to sit down and play a game right like they have that potential yeah yeah and uh you know the the as for anyone that doesn't know that this game that had slaves as a resource they they actually printed a different set of cards that you could replace the slaves with they're called fakirs or whatever and then you could so f for people who were uncomfortable trading slaves like literally um they could replace that with a different thing um which is probably a good idea especially in response to the the threads or whatever the the conversation that was happening um the, uh, another part of that conversation that i remember that i thought was amusing was i um I, I don't begrudge anyone being upset about the slaves thing but i noticed that in the same game has assassins and nobody said anything about the assassins <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> should we replace the assassins with somebody some other uh, you know they're literally killing people but that's not nearly as culturally impactful as you know, individual assassinations might, you know, be, but like as institutional racism or whatever. But um, anyway, I, I don't really like to get into big discussions about that kind of thing. Like people will play, if, if people are uncomfortable with a game, then, then they won't play it. And if people, you know, want to make a game with a message, they can do so. Um, Mombasa was, has brought up, has been brought up about a game that about the colonization of Africa and, um, they did something neat that I might uh, I've been also considering doing is in the beginning of that rule book, they, they sort of say, Hey, you know, there's a lot more to what went on in colonization than we're not really getting into it. We're just looking at the economic aspects for more information. Here's some reading and they, they reference something. Um, so I was thinking about doing something very similar in the, in the beginning of the rule book for crusaders as well to say, look, you know, there's a lot of stuff that went on during the crusades. Um, this game doesn't really get into to much of it, but you're, you know, welcome to, to, do some reading. And I, I actually, I solicited uh, a resource or two from people that sounded like they knew what they were talking about. So I might check those resources out. And, and if, if I feel like they should be um, referenced, then maybe I, maybe I'll actually point to them in the rule book and say, Hey, look for more information about the actual crusades. Look here for a, uh, a fun game. That's sort of crusades adjacent. Just play this. Right. Um, just to kind of let people know that we're, I, I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, being insensitive to, to, things that that are related to the crusades i don't you know like stomping on the, the brown guys or whatever um the um and, and it's kind of unfortunate too that the colorization the saracen tokens in the game are supposed to be like maroon but on rgb it kind of looks brown so that probably didn't help anything <laughs> but right. well i i uh, may have a couple of books here i could i could uh, shoot you over in an email i, I think I, medieval history and all that kind of stuff is, is right in my wheelhouse so I'll probably have a couple of things i can shoot over to you <laughs> Yeah, I'd be interested to, to, to know where, you know, good resources for that. Cool. Um, oh, well, you know, we, we've been dancing around the issue all, all the whole time here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Crusaders? 
<laughs> oh, the game itself. All right. Yeah, um, yeah we probably should have led with that. So Crusaders is a game. Uh, as I said, you're you're a knight order, like the Knights Templar or a similar order. And you've got a knight on the board, and you're going around Europe, and you're building structures and fighting enemies in sort of a general sense uh, in order to spread the influence of your order uh, and, and you're gaining influence points, which are victory points and your, the structures you build uh, are like a tech tree. Um, you build banks, they help you build more. You build churches, they help you do the influence action more. You build farms, they help you muster troops. You build castles, they help you uh, do various other things, travel and fight. Um, and the way that you do it though, it's driven by, um, I want to use some terms that if you're not into uh, the board game scene, you might I might have to define them for you. Um, I'm going to say it's a it's like a, a Moncala Rondel. So Moncala is an old game where you basically take a bunch of pieces and drop them off one at a time. And then a Rondel is an action selection mechanism where you say you've got a circle with different slices, uh, pie slices, and each one has a different action on it. And usually in a Rondel game, you can move forward on the you have a piece on the Rondel and you can move forward like one, two, or three spaces. And do one of those actions, and it's it's a way to sort of limit what actions you have access to um, at any given time. Um, so you might want you know the action that's four spaces away, but you can't do that one yet because you can't reach it, um, and stuff like that. So or you might want the first action away, but next turn you want to do something that's six spaces away. So maybe you need to move three so you can reach it. You know, they, it's an interesting action selection restriction type thing. I really like it. I think it makes for interesting games. Um, so the combination that I've made is. In, in this game, you've got your, we're calling it the action wheel. Um, so the rondelle is called the action wheel. And the action wheel has six wedges. And each wedge has an action on it. And you've got some pieces, some cubes or some tokens in each wedge. And what you do is you pick a wedge and you're going to do the action on that wedge. And the more pieces that are in that wedge, the better. So you're going to travel. You have seven pieces in there, you can travel seven spaces. If you only have two pieces, you can only travel two spaces. Whichever the case may be, so you complete your travel action, and then you pick up all those pieces, and you drop them off one at a time around the wheel, uh, like Moncala, um, which, as a result, empties out that travel bin, but then it puts an extra cube in each of the next couple bins. Uh, you know, you travel for three, that means, you know, maybe Crusade and Influence and um, Build have one more cube each now. Um, strengthening and empowering those up. And so, like, maybe you want to build something that costs five, and you only got three. You got to do something else first, build it up, and then you can build. Um, and so the, it has, it takes that sort of action, um, sequencing, interesting choices, and also the, the variable power of your actions. Like, do I, I want to build, but I, I can't build yet because I can't afford it and, and kind of mixes those up. And then just to, for some icing on the cake, each of your action bins or whatever, each of your wedges on your, on your action wheel, you can upgrade it and flip it over and make it better. So um, and mechanically, that's, I think, interesting because you can take a turn to just do nothing but increase the power of your, your board, and then later that'll pay off because every time you use that wedge, you can you can be more versatile. You can travel and build in the same turn. Um, so that's kind of a neat um, mechanism there. So you use this little personal, you have a little personal puzzle of your, your action wheel, and you're using that to move your knight around. Um, fight enemies. You need to fight enemies because you can. You can't build with an enemy. You can only build one building per space. So if someone else built there, you have to go somewhere else. Um, there's some competition for uh, certain spots on the board uh, have extra benefits. Like you can build whatever you want there, but if you build a castle, it's cheaper. Or if you build a church, it's worth extra points or something. So you might want to race to certain spots that are juicy. 
Um, there might be some competition to get to the good building spots. The uh, enemies, as you defeat them, are worth points, and they're worth more and more points as you defeat them. So sometimes crusading uh, against an enemy is uh, lucrative, and you could beat someone to that. There's also majority bonus if you. There are three types of enemies, three colors, and if there's a majority bonus for each. So if you've got more, if you've defeated more Saracens than than the other players, you get a bonus. If you defeated more Slavs than the other players, you get a bonus. Um, and the tech tree of the buildings, as you build buildings, you, they get more, more and more benefits towards that same thing. So like I said, uh, building banks helps you build more. So you build a second bank, it helps you build more, even more. And then if you build all the banks, because it helped you build, it gives you a reward, extra points for having built a lot. Um, and so it's sort of like a tech tree there. I, mean, I, I like tech trees in games. So you've got your tech trees going on, you've got your, your, your personal rondelle puzzle, and then you've got the main board where you're doing stuff. And then you can upgrade those those individual pie pieces on your turn, and then that gives you an option to then split between actions. So, you know, your your travel pie wedge on the other side may have travel and, and crusade or travel and build. That's so right. if, if you have enough cubes built up in those individual actions, you know, you could potentially move and build or build to move or, you know, however you want right. to sort of split those roles yeah, up. Yeah, you can do one or the other or both if you have enough cubes. That's right. So that's that. That's how it makes you. It's like it's like investing in a future thing. You 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 take a turn off of not do. You know, I don't. I didn't make any progress this turn, but my my wedge is upgraded now, and in the future that wedge is going to be able to be used uh, more powerfully, more um, in the future. So that's uh, that's basically it. Without visual aids, it's tough to describe. Yeah. But I hope, <laughs> I hope understood that. Um, yeah. I I'm very pleased with this game. I I've made it. Uh, it's been like I started like four years ago. I finally finished like two years ago, and I've been you know I've played it uh, a lot of times, and I really enjoy it. And I think it plays really smoothly, and I think it it's very interesting and fun. Um, and there are a lot of different factions. There are ten different factions, so you'll have a different faction um, every time, which might give you a little bit of a different way to control your 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 action wheel a little bit, um, which uh, some people dig that. Um, but I think that replayability more comes less from less from that and more from, you know, playing the game against the people, right? You're like, oh, last time you did this and it, you know this strategy and it, it uh, you did better than me, so now I'm going to try that, or you know, oh, or I better counter it with this other strategy or something like that. And that's where replayability comes from, not just setup replayability, not just variance of setup, but sure, um, yeah. So uh, hopefully, people will find that they also like the game. And that they will um, enjoy it, and they'll enjoy their fancy plastic pieces. <laughs> uh, we should also note it's two to four player. the uh, The board is double sided, so there's a two player side, uh, which is a little bit smaller of a map. Uh, the four player side is a little bit bigger. Um, it plays in sixty to ninety minutes. Although, you know, Actually, I think it's it, a lot quicker than that. Um, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, the does it say sixty to ninety somewhere? Because that's not right. Uh, I if think that's what it says on the Kickstarter. Oh, well, that's that's what I wrote down. <laughs> it's, um, it plays in about it's about fifteen minutes per player plus five to ten minutes to set up. So it's probably thirty-five to forty minutes to until like an hour, hour ten minutes. So if you have yeah. four players, I mean, if you have four players and it's your first game and you're teaching, maybe it's an hour and a half. But I played, um, I did some when I was doing playtesting. I did a whole lot of three-player games. And I took data, and of all the three-player games. Almost all of them were 42 minutes 
<laughs> like exactly. So, you know, okay. I would say 45 minutes is a good realistic estimate for a three player game. It's probably an hour for four players and it's probably 35 or 40 minutes for, for two players. So yeah, 60 to 90 is not correct. We, if that's not a Kickstarter, we should fix that. Yeah. I was going to say when we, when we played at RocketCon, we did a three player and, and, you know, for a teaching game, a learning game, I, maybe it went an hour, but after the first couple of turns, we were just, you know, rocketing through turns like, oh, it's, oh, it's me again. Oh, oh, geez. Oh, I wasn't ready. Hold on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it, it'll go pretty quick. It, it was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, also, uh, we'll just make note as far as mechanics for the game. Uh, the Saracens are always at a strength of six. So when you do your crusade action, you need at least uh, six cubes or combination of cubes and, and mustard troops. Uh, the Prussians and the Slavs, which represent the other enemy factions, they're on a sliding scale. So they both start at three on a separate track. Uh, when you uh, crusade against the, you know, your first, you know, Slavic enemy, then they'll increase to four. So the next person that attacks them, or if you attack them again, you'll need four cubes or combination of cubes and uh, muster troops. So they will increase in strength as the, uh, as the game goes on. Uh, when you defeat a Saracen, um, you would get three victory points or uh, they'll have either a silk screen printed or a sticker on the back that will allow you to, pr to build a building for free right away, uh, which yeah, is super so the three points is sort of a constellation prize if you don't want the building. Most of the time, you're going to want the free building. And the way I thought of it was like, oh, you defeated these guys, and they had a castle, so you took over their castle. Right. <laughs> it's like you get – but mechanically, you get to you get to build your next castle for free. Um, and you get that that's your reward for defeating them instead of points, which means you'll get some points for the castle. But um, I think – and then the other, the other two were um, – I don't know. I like the idea of them getting stronger, and I think of that as them, them getting them like rallying and being, you know, like, oh, we're being attacked. Let's let's reinforce. Let's get, mm -hmm. you know, they're more upset and more uh, reinforced, and, and they come back harder. Um, so they get harder and harder to defeat. But also, as they're harder to defeat, they're also worth more points. So, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing there. But the, um, yeah, I just thought there'd be need to have a couple different types of enemies and a couple different uh, ways to go about it. Right. And, and, you know, thematically, again, you know, like you said, it's, you know, Crusaders adjacent, you know, it's not based on actual history as it happened, but there were Crusades in Northern Europe, like, oh, uh, yeah, those guys aren't acknowledging the Pope or whatever. So they're heretics, let's crusade. So, I mean, there were Crusades that ranged far and wide, not only to the Holy Land, but, you know, throughout Central Europe. There were, but... I highly suspect that even if, you know, say, oh, someone could say maybe this game's about the Northern Crusades, but that's probably not true either because the people you're fighting aren't going to be the people, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the, uh, the um, Prussians and the uh, Saracens and the Slavs were probably not the people that were being fought against in the Northern Crusades. So even then, it's yeah, not yeah. historical. Yeah, I, I just assumed to say, look, it's not it's not really representative. Sure, sure. Um you know, these are knights. They fought people sometimes, and so that's a little bit in the game. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna like worry about the historical yeah, like, accuracy of, yeah. um, of the time. Right, right. And then the uh, I, th I don't I'm not, I don't recall if you mentioned the the orders that you play. They're all asymmetric. So um, you know the the Knights Templar may you know allow you to I forget specifically, but uh, one of the orders allows you to. Um, 
distribute your cubes either left or right. So clockwise or, or counterclockwise. Uh, other ones, you know, they'll start with two extra action cubes, but they're a little bit slower on the board. Uh, you know, so there's different, one of the one of the orders allows you to immediately at the beginning of the game upgrade three of your of your rondel wedges, which is wow, it's crazy. But there's <laughs> um. Yeah, there's uh, uh, 10 different ones, and several of them are, are help you with control your rondel. The nice Templar, um, when you're distributing your cubes, you usually you got to go one by one um, around your action wheel. That one lets you double drop. It lets you go once per turn, you can drop two in the same bin, which lets you recharge a bin faster. And, and in playtesting, I found that to be very strong. So as a result, uh, that faction only has 10 cubes to start with instead of 12. Um, so that's a detriment, but but the power the ability is very powerful. Um, similarly, there's one that um, lets you skip a bin every time, and that proved to be pretty strong too, but not as strong as the other one. So that only starts with 11 cubes instead of 12. Um, there's one faction, like you said, that starts with two extra cubes, um, and that's the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre, I think it's called, and that is a very strong ability. So as a result, uh, every time you do travel, you got a minus, you have minus one. You have one. You pretend you have one fewer cube uh, in there. So it's a penalty to travel, but everything else is boosted by the fact that you've got more cubes on your board. Um, and there's some other ones that are like that where you distribute something differently. There's the St. Lazarus, like you said, where you start with upgrades. Um, that seems very powerful because all your power comes right away at the beginning and you don't get any more powerful over the course of the game. Um, but it's a nice head start. Um, there's there's one, one faction that we added as a stretch goal that starts with an additional knight. So you get two knights in play right from the start. And... Uh, I found that just, I thought it was a cool one. I liked it, but just having two nights in play didn't do much. So um, without extra travel. So that one also comes with extra travel. So you get plus one to all your travel and two nights to start with. And that's all you get. Um, nice. But yeah, there's there's some variety in them. Um, most of them help you control your rondel, but some of them like the night one and the hospitaler one um, and the Lazarus, they, they don't, they, they just are a benefit that you start with. Um, but most of them are, are every turn. You can, like you said, one's uh, the... Um, Hospitaler, I think it is, is you can either go clockwise or counterclockwise. So you have a lot of control. And at each turn, you can choose differently. So you, can, you have a lot of control over uh, how you're going to set up your board for next turn, uh, which is a, it's a popular one. People like that one. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And then and uh, a lot of testing, they seem strong. One of them, and I there's two of them that I, I might make a last-minute tweak just to um, uh, power up or power down them. Um, one of them is one of my favorites, but it's very tricky to use. It's... Uh, you only start with six cubes, one in each bin, but you get plus one to everything. So wow. it's it can be very powerful, especially once you start upgrading your board and you can get, you know, for two cubes, you can travel for two and build for two, you know, or whatever. Um, but it is very tricky to play, especially if you end up with all your cubes on like one side of the board. So you're kind of stuck. So I'm actually, I'm actually thinking about adding a cube or two to that one um, just to make it a little bit less tricky but i'm also considering warning players against playing that on their first time because it's it's fun but it's sort of an advanced one and then the one with the, the lazarus with i was going back and forth on that one whether it should be two upgrades or three upgrades and two upgrades seem too bad you know not good enough three upgrades maybe a little too good so what i might do is is stick with three upgrades but like reduce it by a cube or else go with two upgrades and add a cube or something like that to make it a little something in between um just to make sure people don't one of the things about game design that I think is an interesting thing and people don't think about is there's two, there's, there's balance and there's perceived balance and perceived balance is possibly even more important than actual balance. 
because if things are actually balanced, people don't necessarily play a game again enough to notice. Whereas if things are balanced, but they seem unbalanced, people perceive them to be unbalanced, then they might complain about that or not play the game because of it or, or have a big effect. Uh, even though, like, even if you could, you know, statistically show them that after 700 games or whatever, or, 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 you know, run a model on a computer and it turns out it's balanced, if they think it's not, that's a bigger problem than maybe it, maybe then it not actually being balanced. Right. So I'm a little concerned about that on, on the ones I don't want people to think that Kalatrava is too weak and I don't want people to think that Lazarus is too strong. So I might give them a little bit of a tweak just, just at the last minute to uh, make sure that they come more in line with people's expectations and, and are, I want all of them to be fun to play. I don't want people to think one's dominant, even if it's not really. Um, sure. And that's the thing about new players. When you've got one ability where you get all your power up front and another ability that you have to play well to realize your power, this one's going to win and seem dominant because <laughs> Any old monkey can play with the 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 you know start out bonus, um, but to make the other one maximized, you have to like maybe play better. So um, that's what I'd be concerned about: is making sure that everyone has a good time and no one thinks something's dominant. When even even if it, even if with good players and experienced players, maybe it wouldn't be unbalanced. That's something we have to think about that I never used to realize I have to think about. Right. No. You were talking about, you know, making little tweaks and stuff to the orders, but, you know, when, when you guys bring a game to Kickstarter, it's done. I mean, essentially, it could go to the printer tomorrow. The game is, is complete. So we're not going to see, you know, yeah. any significant rules changes. We're not going to, you know, see a solo variant come out. I mean, it, it's set and we, we have what we have. Yeah, the rules uh, are done. And I think that's important. I, like I said, this, these minor t- like tweaks I'm thinking about, that's not that's not something major and it's not something sudden. This is something I've been thinking about for years. So it's, it's not like a, Hey, quick, let's make a new whole faction power that no one's tested. You know, you can't, right. you can't just throw that together. I'm a big, I'm a big believer that you can't just throw in game content. Like it's nothing because that stuff takes work and time and testing. And, and the worst, the thing you can do is throw something in. You think, eh, that might be okay. And it completely unbalances the game or completely dominant. Like what, what if, people demanded another night order and I said, okay, off the top of my head, here's one. And maybe you can, uh, uh, build two things at a time or crusade twice. In the, you know, if you have enough cubes, you can do two crusades instead of one. Um, if I just did that thinking that's probably okay. Well, I tried that. It turns out that's really not okay. But had I not tried it and someone demanded it and I just threw it in there, people would say, this is terrible. This is broken. This guy always wins. And you know, that's the danger. So it's not cool to add game content in my opinion, uh, after the fact. When you're on Kickstarter, in my opinion, the game design should be done. Now, it's possible that some people go to Kickstarter with a game that's not finished. Um, I don't think that's that's the best way to go, but that's just my opinion. Um, When we're talking about stretch goals and things, we're talking about component upgrades, not gameplay, not adding gameplay. People are often interested in a solo mode, and that is something that can be added to games, but it takes time. It takes time to develop that. And by the time we're on Kickstarter, my opinion, we don't have time to develop a whole solo mode. So uh, I usually don't think too much about solo play when I design because I don't play solo games. It's just not my style, I guess. Um, I usually leave that. There's a a healthy community of solo players on BoardGameGeek or just out there. And if they want to make a solo mode for my games, they are more than welcome to do so. Uh, I believe there are two solo modes to Eminent Domain right now. And if you look on BoardGameGeek, you can find them. I was not involved in those. And um, (laughs) 
I'm happy that does exist. If somebody wants to play solo, they've got two options. Um, it's possible in the future if I see a way to make make a, a game you know work with solo, then I might pursue that in the, you know in the first place. But most of the games that I work on and the games that I like to play are multiplayer games, and I think that's why I like them. Um, so it usually doesn't occur to me, or I, or I don't see a way to do it. Um, we did add a, a solo mode to Harvest when that not Harvest Harbor when that was on Kickstarter. Um, but that I mean we had we had an idea and we we called it the training dummy and. Um, it was basically like an, a little algorithm or an AI that you you would play, and then it would do its algorithm. You know, um, and I don't know. I, I'm not a solo player. I don't know how successful that was as a solo game. If nothing else, I figured it was a way to le learn the rules. Um, but uh, there's a whole uh, there's at least one. There's probably a couple different. I don't. Know, I won't say maybe companies or or collectives that work on solo modes. There's the um, Atoma Factory that that makes solo modes for uh, some of Stegmaier stuff like like Scythe, and there's I think that there's another I think JR Honeycut might be working on uh, his group might do some solo modes for some stuff I don't know if that's exclusive what they do or if that's just part of what they do or if they're willing to do it, but um, you know there are people that are interested in doing that and that's great. Um, I don't know that the middle of a Kickstarter campaign is the time to start that uh, is the problem. Um, in the future. Maybe I'll look into that earlier and have that going earlier. Um, but if we're going to include it in the box, game content-wise, I feel like it has to be done before we start Kickstarter. Sure, um, that makes sense. There, there, there are exceptions, and, and you know, it's game by game. Sometimes there's it's easy to make content. If there's a you know, sometimes the way the game works, it's easy to make a card that has you know whatever to add to the game that does certain things. Um, but most of the time, it's if you if you're doing that, it's it's because it doesn't integrate with the game very well. It's just like, oh, it's an extra card. It's on top of everything else. Um, but I will say, any game content that does get added, in my opinion, should get added to both the, the Kickstarter copies and the retail copies, because I don't like the idea of thousands of people down the road buying this off the shelf and not getting that content. It feels mm -hmm. like that's not fair. Um, there are arguments you can make that you know promos are like that. Like not everyone gets the promo uh, because they don't know about it or because there aren't that many necessarily. Um, and that's kind of the same thing, I guess. But at least the promos are available if you want them. Anything that's exclusive shouldn't be game content, or you're just poo-pooing your audience, your bigger audience, to make your smaller audience happy, which has never sat well with me. So that's why we don't tend to do that. Okay. Um, yeah. I was, I was gonna say, how how involved are you in the minutia of the Kickstarter? Are you, you know, other than like checking out the the kick track, you know, during the week, are are you involved in like all the the little things that are going on? Or, well, we have a team. I'm I'm involved, but I'm not as involved as some of the other team members. Especially, um, so we have people. Uh, if you're talking about shipping and logistics, there's one person that is concentrating on that. If you're talking about like doing the updates, I think Lance does the updates now. Lance just went to Canada for the weekend. Um, but I'll, so I'm going to be monitoring the, the Kickstarter. In fact, I'm going to need to, if, if we cross the threshold here to 230,000, um, I think it's, oh, we're not there yet, but we're getting close. We're at 227.5. Um, I might be the one that posts the update, but somebody else wrote the update. It's ready to go in case we cross the line because, you know, people are out for the weekend. Um, and I told them I would, I would go ahead and watch that. Um, and I have a feeling, I have a feeling we'll hit that, this afternoon, I think that's not too far fetched, and I hope we do because I'm 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 interested in, in looking at the 
looking forward to the next goals. I really would like to see that sword. That sword yeah. is, is pretty awesome. Um, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, $47,000 $47, short of that, which is not all that much, really. Um, if you think about it. And most Kickstarters, people press that remind me button. And so 48 hours before the end of the Kickstarter, there's usually a big uh, surge. So, I mean, we're 40,000 for that sword at this point, And we've got, I don't know, seven days left. What do we have left? Seven days, yeah. Um, so I think that it's not too far fetched. I think we'll hit that sword. I don't, it's no problem. I'm wondering, you know, are, how much beyond that are we going to do before? If we, <laughs> you know, if we, if we see that surge, that surge can sometimes be quite a bit. It can, it can be similar to the first couple of days and the first couple of days we do very well. So, I mean, I'm hopeful that that happens. I'm just not sure if we have, you know, what, what we can offer as stretch goals, you know, if we need to for, for that. Um, but we've got a couple of ideas in the back burner that we might look into if it comes to it. But yeah, I'm excited about like that sword is is cool looking, and I would love to have one of those. Yeah. So. Well, and how how important do, do stretch goals become? You know, when you have a game out on Kickstarter, I mean, I, there are people who will back because strictly of stretch goals. Like, well, that game is okay, but you know, oh, I'm going to wait to see what kind of stuff they're going to offer. You know, as this goes along. Well, this is how I look at stretch goals, and this is how I think they evolved in the first place. So in the beginning, there was Kickstarter and there was no stretch. There was no such thing as a stretch goal. There was a funding level and it was like, look, if we get to this funding level, we'll print the game. And that was it. And then, you know, maybe you did, maybe you didn't make it. Maybe you made it. If you made it, you print the game. Okay. Well, what quickly started to happen was as this started to become a thing was people started more consistently making that funding goal. And then there's time left, especially back in the day. If you remember, Kickstarter projects were a month at the minimum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes there were 60 days or more. So what happens when two weeks into your month, you've reached that goal and you've got two more weeks and people are like, well, it's being made. I guess I don't have, you know, why would I back now? So what happens is the next thing you do is the, the next logical step is let's stick another funding goal, right? Like we have a funding goal. We reached it. Let's have another funding goal. We reached it. So they call that stretch goals because it stretches the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's effectively another funding goal. Now, at that point, you're not going to not print it anymore. But instead, it's like you know where where the first funding goal was. If we reach this, we'll print the game. Now it's like if we reach this, we'll add a plastic or whatever whatever it might be. So it's the same. It's the same philosophy. It's the same thing. Um, so whenever you're you know the the whole goal of the funding goal in the first place was to raise that money. So the goal of the stretch goal is to raise more money, right? So um, and what it does for the backers is, okay, um, I've backed the game. It's going to fund. Everyone's happy. Now, oh, there's this really sweet sword at $275,000. Well, I've already backed, so I'm not going to give more money because that doesn't make sense. Most people, Some people might, but most people are, don't think I better back more. But instead, what they'll do is instead of just saying, well, I backed, I'll get my game, they go, oh, I'm going to tell my friends to back because then they'll then – by them backing, it'll raise the funding goal and maybe I'll get that sword or whatever, you know, like I'll get it. They'll get it. Everyone will get it. So right. I'll spread the word. I'll be active in spreading the word and, you know, crowd sourcing, crowdfunding the, uh, the thing that's what, that's what crowdfunding is all about. If you don't have people spreading the word and, and if you don't build a crowd, you don't have crowdfunding. So by adding stretch goals, what you're doing is you're giving everyone who's already in and they're already in, they're invested. They've got, 
they've got their money in there. They they now are getting the item, and they want that item to be better. So it behooves them to round up more people, spread the word, let people know, so that maybe they'll come back and we'll get more funding, and everyone will get that awesome sword. You know, right? So that's what stretch goals are are kind of for. And that's how they kind of work. Um, I always thought. Um, one thought I've had in the past was that, you know, as a stretch goal, uh, what if we had a stretch goal that added stuff to both, you know, oh, we get that sword, but maybe that goes in both the retail and the deluxe copy. That's not what we're doing here. But um, if you did, shouldn't that be the same? Uh, you know, I'm already back for the deluxe copy. You know, I'm looking to get that sword. Um, you know, the, the old version of this was before there was deluxe was do backers get the sword or does it go in the print run for everybody who buys the game in the future. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that's, you know, that's kind of the same thing. If, if I get enough, if, if we get enough funding, I get the sword and so does everyone else. It turns out though, that people really like the exclusivity or the idea, the, the ability to get something that other people don't get. It like adds value. It's like, I got the sword and you didn't, that makes my sword worth more. You know, right. that kind of thing. So, <laughs> I was um, there at the beginning. <laughs> well, yeah. It's like, it's like a status symbol and, or, uh, it's just literally worth more because people that might want it don't have it and they might pay for it. You know, not that you're selling it, but it just makes it more valuable to you if other people don't also have it. So that's the thing that, that you have to consider when you're making these stretch goals is, is it for Kickstarter backers only, or is it for the print run? Now for some projects, there aren't, there isn't a print run. You're just going to print enough for the Kickstarter backers. And that's that. But for people like TMG who are funding a print run, which is going to be in stores, that's an important question. Is this going to be in the retail copy or is this stretch goal going to be just for the backers? And that's where that game content thing comes. If you have game content, I think it should be in both. Um, if you have a fancy thing like a sword star player marker, you could argue, okay, that could be a backer only type thing because it's not necessary. You might also argue that somebody who plays the deluxe version of Yokohama and then goes and buys it in the store and they're like, oh, my copy only has cardboard you know maybe they'll be less interested so there's also that argument but whatever um at least at least they're not missing out on game content so i don't know i've we that's just something that we've observed is that a stretch goal uh, an item a, a fancy item is worth more to backers if it's only for backers than it is if it's added to the whole print run so you got to be careful and you got to set these things when when you decide like is this stretch goal going to be for the whole print run or is this stretch goal going to be only for backers right but do you then do you think because of the way things have evolved now do you think someone could just put a game up there sans stretch goals and be successful at this point um well yes but that depends a little bit on your on your definition of successful um and and this ties into another uh, another point about uh, what does what counts as success on Kickstarter. Um, I think I was just watching before I before this call. I was watching a, a clip Tom Vassell's crowd surfing or whatever where he talks about some Kickstarter stuff, and he mentioned one. I, I wasn't paying a lot of attention and I, I wasn't familiar with it, but he mentioned something that's going up there with no stretch goals. Oh, interesting. Um, and they said you know either they'll make they get the funding they'll make it if they don't they don't, and. Well, if they get their funding, it's hard to say they weren't successful. They wanted X dollars. They got X dollars. That's a success. Just because something doesn't make a thousand dollars, you know, a thousand percent their funding goal doesn't mean it's not a success. Um, And that I think is an important point. And I think it's one that's lost on a lot of, a lot of people that follow Kickstarter and get excited by these big numbers. You got your gloom havens that could bring in millions of dollars or whatever, 
or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't even know what Gloom Maven made. Um, or you got your your cool mini or nots that are at a half a million dollars for their fire and ice, whatever. Um, and they got your, you know, people think, oh wow, now that's success. You know, you're exploding kittens, nine million dollars or whatever the ridiculous amount of money they made was. Um, that's success. Oh, you only made a hundred thousand dollars on your Kickstarter. That's, not, <laughs> that's ridiculous to think that that's not success because right. you like under what definition is that not success? Not funding. That's maybe not success, but in a way that's not necessarily bad either because not funding might mean you shouldn't have done it. In the, you know, <laughs> if you can't make the money you needed to make, maybe you shouldn't be making the project. Uh, it used to be the case that it, you would have to pay the money, get the product, not be able to sell it and find out after the fact it was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Now, not funding on Kickstarter, maybe that's a success too, in some respects. But the point is, making your funding goal is successful even if you don't overfund by a thousand percent. Oh, for sure, for sure. On that note, a pet peeve of mine is people who uh, look at a funding goal and say, "Oh, you need more money than that to print the game." That's disingenuous. You're you're only asking for twenty thousand dollars when I know for a fact it'll cost forty thousand dollars to print that game, and. I think that they're missing a, a, a bit of the point here. People have money in their pocket. It could be that they're willing to spend $20,000 but need forty, so they're kickstarting and their goal is twenty because that's all they need. If they get more, great, but if not, they're willing to take 20 bucks, 20 grand out of their pocket. Why is that not acceptable? How is that any different than saying you need 40000 and then raising 40000 So not only that, but not only in your pocket, people, people used to have to go to the bank and get a loan if they wanted to. You can still do that. There's nothing saying you can't. Um, and on top of that, there is certain expectations set. If you are doing a small print run or an expensive game or whatever, and you need $70,000 or whatever to, to fund your print run. And it's a game that is, you know, a six, was a normal standard box or whatever. Sometimes you'll have backers that say something's wrong. You shouldn't need, no one asked for 70,000 people ask for 40,000. How come you're asking for 70,000? Something's wrong. I'm not going to back. You know, I've seen this happen, and it's unfortunate, I guess, for the for the project. But people have that expectation, and the reality might be that they need seventy thousand for whatever reason, or they couldn't do it. But maybe these projects that are asking for forty, well, maybe they only needed forty. Maybe they're doing a bigger print run. Maybe they, maybe it was cheaper. Maybe they have fewer components, or maybe they're willing to take thirty grand out of their pocket. You know, maybe they don't need um, all seventy grand to be funded by the crowd, and if they get it, they get it. So it kind of causes some problems when you have these expectations. Um, and, and also, so the funding goal on Kickstarter is there's nothing magic about it. You get to set that it's arbitrary. You can say whatever you want and there's nothing wrong with that goal, no matter what it is. Like if you, the only thing wrong about it is if it's too high and people don't pledge, then you picked a bad number to put. But if you, you know, you got to make that decision as a, as a creator. So, it uh, one of my pet peeves is for is people that conflate that number that someone arbitrarily picked with the amount of money they actually need to to print the game, forgetting that there's other money in the world that doesn't come from Kickstarter. So, um, it's also why I think that the percent overfunded people brag about. If people were to brag, hey, we're ten thousand percent overfunded. Well, you arbitrarily picked a number to you know sure. funding goal. If you picked, if you got a game that you know you're going to make a hundred grand, and you say funding goal five thousand dollars, well, yeah, you're going to overfund by a ton. If you say funding goal seventy thousand dollars, not only will you not overfund by a ton, but there's a chance people will say, "Oh, there's something wrong. I'm not going to back." And so, it's it's a little odd the way people react to these these 
numbers, considering how arbitrary they are and how um, how Kickstarter is not the only funding source, right? There are other funding sources. So that's my little rant, I guess, about <laughs> about funding sources. Right. Well, and you know, I think it comes down to, you know, you, you, you look at the, at the creator, you look at the designer, you know, you look at the history, how many, you know, projects have they, uh, have they funded successfully? Uh, you know, do I like the content? Do I like the game? You know, and then those numbers, you know, at the end of the day, they're not my concern. Like if the game costs 50 bucks, I like the game play. I like the components, you know, I see a history of successful projects. I throw my money in. I I don't care how much money you want or or you know what you're going to need if money's coming out of your pocket. I, I like what you're doing and I want to help and I want to be a part of it. I want to be able to play that game. Uh, you know, for yeah. me, like, for me anyway. All that stuff I don't it's, never concern. That, that makes sense. And uh, but for a lot of people, I guess there's there's more to it. There's some, a lot of psychology going on. Um, but yeah, I think you'll have a better record, better track record of liking your. Kickstarter offerings. If you do that research, rather than uh, sort of impulse buy, if you're surfing Kickstarter and you say, "Ooh, that that's got pretty pieces. I'm gonna buy it." Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. But if you look and say, "Ooh, that's got pretty pieces," but I see the last four games they made. I've played those. And I didn't like them. You know, maybe that's not for you. Or on the other hand, you've like, "Oh, that one looks neat." And then you look and you see, "Oh, I liked everything I've done by that designer." Maybe I'll feel better backing this because, you know, it's likely to be something I'll be into. Um, you know, if you see the TMG logo, uh, you probably can be confident that it's going to be a value. And if you like the stuff that TMG puts out, then you're probably going to like the game because we've got a style, right? So we've got our audience and our audience likes the stuff we put out. So if you see a TMG logo and you're like TMG, you're probably going to be okay backing the project. Mm -hmm. You see the TMG logo, it's a no-brainer, right? You, you can I see mean, that's the goal. That's <laughs> the goal. That's that's branding for you. We, we would love it if everyone just auto-bought every TMG item <laughs> because it had a dragon on it. Um, and that's, you know, that's the goal. But um, in the meantime, I mean, we do have some number of people that would say, oh, TMG is probably good. I'll buy it. Um, and we have some number of people who are like, oh, TMG, I'll at least look into it. I'm sure there's one or two people who are like, TMG, I better stay away. But that's <laughs> that's their loss, right? Not everyone, you know. Uh, our audience is not 100% of the people in the world, um, but uh, you know, as it grows, then everyone, you know, uh, our success grows, and they, more people become happy with our products, and that's the goal, right? We're trying to find more people that like what we do, and then make sure that the people that like us get uh, enjoyment out of our products. So, absolutely, and, and and even with that, right? So, like, not every game is for every player. So, you know, there just may be a theme you know, for a game that you guys are putting out or, or whoever is putting out and you're like, eh, you know, the mechanics may be good. You know, it's a Euro style game. I like that, but I don't like, you know, the way sure. this is packaged, you know? Yeah, sure. There's no, um, uh, you can't please everyone, right? Like, and, yeah. and actually trying to please everyone is usually a recipe for pleasing like nobody. Um, mm -hmm. and it could be the fact, I mean, there are designers that you, I, like some of their games and not others. I mean, Ryan Arkesia has got very prolific, prolific. He's got hundreds of games. A couple of them are superb. Like I really like uh, his new one, Eldorado. I like a lot. Um, Amon Ray is one of my favorite games. You know, like he's got um, uh, Tyrus Euphrates is a very good game. Like he's got a number of games that are really good, but then, you know, Ingenious, another good one. Um, but then he's got, you know, I, I'm not even sure if I know, but like some of his other games, I'm just not a fond of, not as fond of, you know, um, I 
Celtis was not my favorite. I actually liked Lost Cities board game better, which is kind of the same thing, but um, I think they improved it. Um, you know, there's he's got a number of games that, you know, maybe I'm not the target audience. Maybe they're kids' games. Maybe, you know. Right. Uh, so it's, it's you're never going to please everybody. But the, what we do, though, is give people the confidence of, of um, you know, if, if people do like a, a, a port, you know, a good number of the, the TMG titles, especially the similar types of titles, like Crusaders is a, you know, size box, Euro style game. If people liked Scoville and Belfort and Eminent Domain, especially because it's got my name on it, maybe they're interested in this. People who liked um, Balloon Pop and, and Dungeon Roll, well, that's a little bit of a different type of game, even though they're TMG titles, this may or may not be the same type of thing, right? It's not the same audience. Even within a brand, you don't necessarily, not every product is for the same audience. But what we're trying to do is, you know, give people the confidence to check out a game if they are, if it looks like the kind of game, you're like, oh, that's the kind of game I like, and it's by TMG, it's probably worth checking it out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what branding does for you, and that's what we're trying to build up. Um, right. Especially with the the, other, the Deluxified brand, is we want people to, to think, oh, not only will I check that out, but it's worth my while because if I don't like it, I can sell it later or whatever. Yeah. I'll like I'll like the components. I'll, I'll like the upgrades. Um, I've never been let down by a deluxified game before. That kind of thing. So yeah. if we can, uh, you know, the more the more people think that way, the more people don't want to miss out on the deluxe uh, deluxified Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned Almond Ray. You guys, uh, TMG licenses uh, licenses that right? Uh yes. That's a, a, a recent one that just came out, a re-release of an old game called Amun Ray. Um, it's, uh, again, it's one of my favorite games from Kinesia, I think. It's it's quite good. Um, it's been a while since I played it, but it's been a while since I played anything, so. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when we were at the store on Saturday, I, I picked up uh, Samurai by uh, Reiner. Yeah, it, it was good. Yeah. We've got a couple of plays mm-hmm. in so far. Abstract, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I played it once. Oh, God, I can't remember how long ago, but yeah, I remember that one. Um but I don't know. I liked, we played, uh, what else did you play at the store? We played Emotep, right? And that one, mm-hmm. that one is a, a solid game as well. That was, I guess it didn't win, but it was nominated for the, either the SEJ or the Kennerspiel. I forget. Oh, but I forget. The year, one of the game of the year awards was nominated like a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, but that was, yeah, I enjoyed, that was the first time in a while I played like a, a published game and it was very fun. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for uh, coming and hanging out. <laughs> we could probably do this for like another hour, but we probably probably want to start yeah. to wrap things up here. Um, I think so. What uh, you have uh, any news on TMG? Things that are coming up aside from from Crusaders? Anything you want to plug or or throw out there? Well, um, we have Gen Con coming up, and at Gen Con, as you can see, uh, BGG has a new Board Game Geek has a new feature where you uh, for convention previews that's really awesome and you can check it out um and if you you filter by tmg you'll see we've got uh four or five things that are basically launching at gen con we had some of it uh, very limited quantities at quantities at origins last month but we're coming out with jiraku which is a a trick-taking area control game which i'm excited about i haven't played it yet but i don't like trick-taking but this one sounds good and it's got a um I've heard nothing but good things about it, where you do trick-taking in order to do area control on the board. Um, so, Jiraku. Okidoki, which is a cooperative game, um, kind of like the game, if you've heard of the game, play till you can't or whatever. Um, but that's a, a, a cooperative game where you're trying to put down uh, numbers in a certain order and and, and uh, create like a, a symphony or whatever. Um, we're coming out with 
Orleans Trade and Intrigue, which is an expansion to the very popular Orleans, Orleans, uh, and Lemuria, which is another uh, one of the Japanese um, games that came from Tokyo Game Market. Um, that's another one I haven't played yet, so I'm very excited about that, actually, to check that out. And I feel like there's one more that I'm missing. If I were smart, I would have looked this up Harvest? while we were talking. Harvest is not going to be at Gen Con, unfortunately. Uh-huh. That one's in production right now, and that'll be at Essen, I believe. <laughs> um, you know, I guess I'm just not going to remember that last one at the moment. <laughs> um, this just, just slipped my mind. That's okay. Are, and are you going to be at Gen Con yourself? I am. I am going to be at Gen Con myself, and uh, I will be taking meetings with often, well, mostly with designers, and um, also I'll, I'm going to try to play some some of my prototypes and get some testing in while I'm there. Um, is it Citrus? Maybe it's Citrus. No, that can't be right. Oh, Samara. That's what it is. It's called Samara, and Samara is the other game that we'll have at Gen Con. Uh, it's by. Um, Corn Van, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Van Worsel or something like that. Um, it is a nice little game with a time track mechanism that I've always liked, where if you're farthest back, it's your turn. And then the farther, oh, okay. the better, you jump forward, you do an action, and then you have to wait till it's your turn again. Uh, I think that's a cool mechanism, and it uses that. Um, so, yeah, you should check out TMG's booth on those items. Uh, been working on some of my own designs and and um, you know, mostly concentrating on this Crusaders thing. Cool, that's awesome. No, well, I, and I, I'll throw this at uh, you know just because you know I got to spend a lot of time with you over the uh, past weekend and and David Short as well. And uh, you know, you guys are, are local and, and John Ruland over at, you know Spider Goat Games. And you know, as someone who comes into the store, you know, someone who you know likes to come in, you know, play board games and stuff. Uh, it, it's awesome that you guys are like out in the community. You guys are out and about, um, you know, super supportive of the hobby. Right. Cause like, you know, you know, we I'm like, Hey, I need a recommendation. And you guys, all right, well, if you like this, try this. If you, you know, if you don't like that, then you're not going to like this. And, you know, to have you guys, you know, in the community, like as a resource and, and, are, you know, super into what's happening. Like that's, it's just the best. I mean, and not every local game store is going to have, you know, designers that come in and hang out. And I, you know, I guess maybe we're really lucky here in, in Tucson to have, you know, uh, some really awesome game designers that are, you know, in the community and out and about. And, and I appreciate that as, as someone who, you know, enjoys board games. So, so, so thank you for, for the time that you spend, you know, not, not only, you know, creating games and, you know, doing the Kickstarter and all that stuff, but being out and, and being available to people to like, just talk about games and, and, you know, suggest games and, and, you know, just sort of like break things down. Like, well, what's this? And why is this? And, and all that kind of stuff. I, I really appreciate that. And I hope well, other people do as well. Well, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad that it, it's uh, something, I'm glad it's something that's seen as a, as a value. Um, Southern Arizona is a little bit, uh, seems like a kind of a high concentration of, of game design stuff. Uh, certainly a little while ago, um, you know, while Crash Games was down here, then they are no longer here and also no longer in business. But um, then we got Gamelin Games up in Phoenix and we have Tori Neiman, the designer of uh, Alien Frontiers up in Phoenix. And then myself and David Short, Michael Eskew down here. I'll have Michael, I think, just moved to somewhere. And then Michael Mendez used to live here as well. And now they're in Utah, of course. But like, I, f- I feel like the Southwest Arizona is... is um, kind of uh, oddly concentrated for when it comes to game design. 
uh, especially considering it's not a big city like your LA's or your New York's or your Chicago's or whatever. It's interesting to me that that's the case, but yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to uh, be in a, in a place with a, a decent board game community. And um, it's fun for me to go out to these conventions and stuff. Um, this year, I'm not doing it. People have taken it over, thankfully. But um, until this year, the last several years, I've been running a convention here in Tucson, um, heading up heading up the group that was running it. Um, and that, that was very interesting, too. And just having um, – just making sure there was a place to play. I, I just wanted um, this to be a thing. And tomorrow, speaking of that convention, tomorrow I'm going to go to uh, – we have these fundraiser game days that kind of raise some funds towards the convention and, and have a day we just get to go and play. So that's happening tomorrow. And I'm hoping to uh, spend some time playing some games and hopefully impressing some people with uh, with my illustrious knowledge of board <laughs> games or whatever it is you just said. Um, you know, maybe I can uh, teach some people a game or, or maybe learn a new game from somebody. Cool. And we'll, and we'll throw out that that was Rincon. We might as well name drop that. It's coming up here at... Uh, end of September coming up and uh, I'll be there for that. I'm actually thinking about GM and a couple of board games this year. Cause why not? Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Totally should do that. Um, I'm, I've got a wedding to go to, so I'm going to miss Rincon oh. this year. Um, although I might be able to come on Friday and then leave on Saturday for the wedding. We'll see, but I'm hoping I can get there for at least a little bit. Um, having, having helped build that up from nothing to, to a, you know, to where it is now, it would suck if I now don't get to go, <laughs> but um, I'm hoping, so I can hope I can get in there on Friday, but yeah, ring con on, uh, was it September 29th or 30th? Uh, yeah. It's, I think it's the last the Friday, last Saturday, Saturday and the first Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, yeah. So if you're in the area, if you're local, you should go. If you're not, if you're close by, you should come and go to ring con and uh, it's a good time. Awesome. And last thing I will plug is Isle of Games up in Tucson, which is is where we uh, generally hang out. If I if I happen to catch you at the store, it's become my store of choice in, in the in the Tucson community. So uh, if you're a local to Tucson, get yeah, Isle of Games is is awesome. They have a huge selection of games, super helpful. You know, they do all the tournaments like everybody else does. There's Magic and X Wing and all the other stuff. So uh, you know, go go check those guys out. Um, they're an awesome group of people and usually where I spend my money. <laughs> cool. So, all right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. This is always a pleasure. I, you know, I enjoy, uh, you know, sitting and getting a chance to talk to you and talk about games and, and all this kind of stuff. Like I said, we could probably do you know, two more hours. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a talker. If you get me going, I'll hey, that makes my job easy. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's uh, been fun. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And for anyone watching, if you've not yet looked at the, uh, Crusaders Kickstarter, take a, take a look. You got a week left to do it and uh, see if it's your thing. Uh, I, I never like to tell people, go buy my thing because, I don't know, it's salesman-y. But I, I I do think if you're into Eurosoft board games, especially if you liked Eminent Domain, which was a game that I've made, then it's definitely worth looking into and just checking it out. Watch some reviews. Um, yeah, and if it looks like your thing, back it. If you don't like it, then don't back it. That's, you know, no pressure. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you if we get to uh, 230,000, we'll have this nice, sorry, if we get to 250, what is it? 275. We'll have that awesome sword. Yep. And I'm looking forward to that. Me too. <laughs> this will be my first deluxified game. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> well, I hope you're not disappointed. Oh, I don't know how I could be. It, it, it looks beautiful. Uh, you know, getting a chance to play over at rocket con, just, you know, reinforced, you know, the decision to, to go ahead and back. I mean, watch a ton of videos going in and yeah, I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. The, the theme is cool. Oh, uh, who was the artist? I, I didn't see it uh, anywhere. 
the artist for Crusaders is our, our in-house artist, Adam McIver, who is uh, one of the top in the industry. He's an artist and graphic designer, and he did uh, a great job, I think, with this one, um, as he always does. In fact, uh, when I got him to do, when I talked to him about doing the art for this, he, he didn't work for TMG at the time. <laughs> and I was looking for artists, and I was getting quotes and whatever. And Adam... Well, I'll end with this amusing anecdote. Adam said um, that he would be interested in doing the project, and he asked if we had an art style that we wanted because he had this idea of a art style that was sort of like a um, based on the Bloody Inn or similar to the Bloody Inn, which is a game that I haven't actually played. Um, but uh, he had he said, "Here, let me show you a uh, quick." Um, a quick sketch of my what I'm talking about for like a quick. I'll just throw something together real quick to show you uh, what uh, idea I have in mind for what this could look like. And I'm I'm bringing that up right now. I can share my screen. Oh, cool. If I let me bring this up, uh, is it open? Uh, I don't see it. Uh, not yet. I have to I have to share my screen here. One sec. Okay. Oh, it opened, but in the wrong program. I'm sorry. It's really <laughs> cool if I just got it on the money. No, no, this one. I somehow reset my my default to open like PNGs and JPEGs with paint for some reason. I don't oh. know what I <laughs> well, I, I will say as as you're trying to, to screen share, uh, I, the art style somewhat minimalistic, but I like the, the the illustrations of the knights on the cards. I I think is phenomenal. Like I, there's just something about it. It's not overdone. It's yeah, I I really liked it. Do you see that? Uh, let me lock in on you. No, I see me. What? You you screen shared the, <laughs> the hangout. Wrong thing. Let me try again. How do I do that? Let me. How how am I so inefficient at this now? Application. I don't understand. I'll just okay here. How about that? Is that better? Uh oh yeah, there you go. Yep. That was his quick style sketch. I was like, you make me sick because of your talent. I was like, I want that image in my game. It isn't, it isn't, but I want it to be. I would like, I don't know. I kind of want to take this. This is, this is the, 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 um, the quick sketch he did. I kind of want to take this image and somehow have it as an Easter egg in the game somewhere. I'm just not sure how or where. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought this was fantastic and I'm like sold. That's what I want it to look like. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see if we can find a way to to do that so does that mean when i shared earlier was i shared was i not sharing the no you did when you when you were sharing the kickstarter everything was everything was there that's so weird i don't know what i did wrong all right that's google <laughs> no it's user error okay very good well that was my ending on my anecdote so uh, adam did a great job um everyone who uh everyone should also check out um he's got a game coming out at maybe a gen con called ex libris and you should check that out too. Is he's designed that game as well, and uh, it's coming out from Renegade. And it, Renegade, I could have that wrong. It's coming out from somebody, and you should check that out too. So plug cool. away. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on. Like I said, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you know, look forward to uh, to running into you up at the, at the aisle again, or we're having you on when you have your next uh, Kickstarter project or something cool coming out from uh, from Tasty Minstrel. All right. Next time I go to the store, I'll, I'll maybe I'll let you know if I'm going to hang out there, and you can see if you're available. Yeah, definitely. Uh, shoot me, uh, shoot me a message. I'm in for that. <laughs> All right. Awesome.
give out all of our details because all of your details are linked in the show notes below. If you like okay. this content, you can find this and all of our other cool stuff at legendsoftabletop.com. If you're just interested in the MP3s, you want to throw us into your ear holes and take us while you're out and about, you can hit up our SoundCloud links on the we're on Instagram, Twitter, all over the place. Facebook, give us a like over there. We'd appreciate it. Um, rate us, re review us on iTunes or or uh, the Podchaser beta. Uh, we have links for that on the, on the website as well. Uh, all those reviews help, keeps us in the public eye, gets things, gets us noticed a little bit better, and we appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate you uh, guys checking this out, and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.